0: You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Good morning. My name is Anna Jordan Butts, and I serve here on the Connections team at Northway. Um, Today I'll be reading Luke 19, 1 through 10. So please open your Bibles with me. And if you don't have one, there's one under the seat in front of you. Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus... He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, and because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning church. Happy Sunday. Happy New Year's Eve. Today is one of my sister's birthdays, so happy birthday. If today's your birthday. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, I know that we just celebrated Christmas, uh, but we are, we're glad uh, to come together as a spiritual family um, and my name is Jonathan Menendez. I get to serve on staff here. I get to lead and oversee our small groups, what we call gospel communities. It really is a joy to be able to open up God's word with you all, and if you are new, uh, maybe a friend invited you, family friend, uh, co-worker, neighbor, uh, we are glad. We're glad that you are here with us. Um, so we're gonna jump in to Luke chapter 19. And before we do, I wanna just start with the following question. Have you ever lost something in the past? You ever lost something? Think about it. When was the last time all the kids are like, yes. When was the last time you lost something? What was it? Maybe it was a phone. Maybe it was your car keys. Maybe it was a child. When was the last time you lost something? I remember two incidents. One, I lost my name tag. Those of us who serve on staff here uh, wear a name tag. And so I lost it once and guess what I did? I didn't wait, cross my arms and just waited for the name tag to find me. I looked for it in my office, my desk, in the car, at home, my bedroom, my clothes. I was like, where is this name tag? Couldn't find it. Another occasion, I had misplaced my phone in the house. And before I, I proceeded, there was a moment of like inner panic. I'm like, where's my phone? We are more addicted to our tech devices than we care to admit, right? And so I lost it, misplaced it, uh, and felt this inner panic of like, where is that phone? What do we do when we lose something of any value, of any importance? Do we just Wait. Oh, those car keys, they will find me. Oh, that phone, yeah. It will just come back to me kind of magically. What do we do? We spend time and energy and effort to find that thing that we have lost, right? And when we find it, what do we experience? We experience a sense of joy, a sense of relief, right? If you lost your wallet, you're like, oh man. Then you find it, oh, okay, I still have it. There's a sense of relief, there's a sense of satisfaction. Did you know that Jesus came to seek something? Yes, the son of man, by his own admission, he came to seek something. And not just any material thing, he came to seek people. The son of man, Jesus himself came to seek and to save the lost. And that's good news for me, for you and for everyone. And this truth comes from a very familiar story. Luke chapter 19, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. We're gonna spend some time looking at this story yet again, and I hope with fresh eyes so that we can be encouraged to follow in Jesus's footsteps, to seek the loss, and to point them to Jesus, the one who can save them. Before we read uh, the first few verses, uh, a little bit of background information for us all to kind of situate ourselves in the gospel of Luke. In in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is predicting his incoming or his upcoming death on the cross. Um, And so he is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what's about to take place, right? He has come to die for the sins of the world. So he is on his way to Jerusalem. He also has an encounter with a blind man right outside of Jericho, and he heals this blind man. He has an encounter with a rich young ruler. You might be familiar with that story as well, right? The rich young ruler came up to Jesus. Hey, what what can I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, have you obeyed the commandments? This rich young ruler said, yes, I've obeyed them all. And then Jesus cuts to the chase and gets to the heart. You're lacking one thing. Go sell all your possessions and give, give that to the poor and then come and follow me. And then what does the rich young ruler do? He becomes sad, right? Because he was very rich and he, was, he had a lot of possessions. And so that's the background. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in chapter 19, there is a new character that enters the scene, a potentially interrupting character. We'll see what Jesus does. Does Jesus see this as an interruption? Will he have time to interact with this new character? He's on his way to Jerusalem. Let's find out. Verse one, he entered Jericho and was passing through. He was passing through. And behold, like look, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. If you have grown up in the church, and going to Sunday school, you are probably very familiar with this story, right? Do you remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Ah, see, you paid paid attention. That's good. We're all familiar with this story. So here enters a new character. His name is Zacchaeus. He is a tax collector, not just any tax collector, a chief tax collector. Let's talk about that for a moment. None of us like to pay taxes, if we're honest, okay? Maybe, maybe that's just me, okay? But especially in that day, when you are under Roman oppression and Roman rule, right? There was another degree to which the Jewish people did not like to be taxed. And so tax collectors, they were seen as collaborators with Rome. They were seen as traitors. Oftentimes, they required more money than what they had been authorized. And so this particular occupation was despised. And so Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Now that could mean one of two things. Either he had a group of tax collectors that he oversaw, or that was just simply a, a status or a reference to his wealth, a chief tax collector referring to his wealth and his possessions. But right off the bat, if we have the context in mind, right? Remember the rich young ruler. Immediately, when we start reading chapter 19, we should have our spiritual antennas up. Like, okay, what's about to take place here? This guy is also rich. This guy is not just a a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And he was very rich. And so what's going to take place? Will we see the same outcome as with the rich young ruler? Let's keep reading. Verse three and four, we will see Zacchaeus's quest and his dilemma. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Yeah, I get that. I can resonate. So what did he do? He ran ahead and climbed up, Into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And so here we see Zacchaeus, right? He has a quest, there's a desire, there's an interest. We don't know what motivated him, but there is at the very least some intrigue, some interest, some curiosity as to who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He had heard most likely that Jesus was coming through town. Maybe he had heard about the healing of the blind man outside of Jericho. This is Jesus's ministry and it's, it's in full swing. So word has spread quickly. And this man, this rich chief tax collector, is interested in seeing who Jesus was. But he couldn't, he couldn't see Jesus because there was a crowd and he was small in stature. And so what did he do? He climbed up the sycamore tree. This tree most likely was, had a lot of uh, low branches so he can climb up and see where Jesus was and where he was going through, he, he kind of risked some, uh, some public ridicule here, right? He ran. He climbed up a tree to see who Jesus was. And look at verse five. I love verse five. When God shows up on the scene, verse five, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love this. This is amazing. How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Good question, right? Some would say, oh, because of he, he was God. He is God. Others would say, well, he's fully men. Maybe he had a prophecy from the Holy Spirit who told him this name of this man. We don't know exactly, but Jesus knew this man's name. And what does he do when Jesus gets to that spot? He calls him out by name. Picture the following scene. My lovely wife came up with this amazing analogy, so I give her credit, okay? So imagine the following scene. Imagine you are at a Taylor Swift concert. I know, I know that's very hard to imagine. Follow, follow me for just a moment. Imagine you're at, at, at a Taylor Swift concert. And after one of the songs, she looks at the crowd and she points at you and calls you by name. It's like, hey, so and so, I want to hang out with you today after our show, after the concert. What would you, what would you say? What would you, how would you respond? You'd be like, what in the world, me? Yeah. <laughs> Shocking surprise, right? Okay. If that scene doesn't hit, doesn't resonate with you, how about the following scene? Imagine you're at, you're watching Hamilton, the musical. And Lynn Manuel Miranda, out of nowhere, looks at the crowd, looks at you, calls you out by name. You're like, "Hey, after the show today, I'm gonna hang out with you." You would be surprised. You'd be shocked, right? Or how about the following scene? Maybe you like basketball. Maybe you're at a Mavericks, Mavericks versus Lakers game. And after one of the one of the quarters, Luca goes, looks at the crowd, looks at you, calls you out by name. He's like, "Hey, after the game, I'm gonna hang out with you today." You'd be shocked. You'd be surprised. Or how about the, the, follow, the following scene? Maybe you're watching Food Network. I don't. My wife does. This is the only reason why I know about this show. Let's say you're watching a, a cooking show by Molly a. Some of you know who she is, right? And she interrupts the, the program. She calls you out by name. And, hey, I want to hang out with you today after the show, after my program. I want to take you out to my restaurant, Bernie's. How would you, how would you respond? You'd be shocked, right? Any of these scenarios, you'd be shocked. You'd be surprised. You'd be like, what in the world is happening? Imagine Zacchaeus. He is interested. He is seeking who who Jesus was. And Jesus calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine the shock, the surprise that Zacchaeus felt? And what does he do? Verse six, he hurried, he came down and received him joyfully. And so we see Jesus' urgent request, urgent command, and Zacchaeus's prompt hospitality. Look at verse seven. And when they saw it, the crowd, what did they do? They all grumbled. In contrast to Jesus' healing of the blind man outside of Jericho, where everybody was praising God, here, the crowd is grumbling, complaining loudly. And what do they say? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so here we see the crowd's judgmental complain. They're complaining. Jesus, he's gone in to be the guest of, of, of someone who's a sinner. This is a very common accusation against Jesus. Jesus was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here we see something similar. Look at verse eight. Not only do we see the crowd's judgmental complain, we see Zacchaeus's repentant action. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, half of my goods I gave to the poor." And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it how many times? Fourfold. Let's talk about this for a moment. Remember, he's a chief tax collector, right? There's a debate among scholars when it comes to these couple of verses here. Was Zacchaeus guilty of defrauding people? Do we know with 100% certainty? No, but most likely, based on what we know about tax collectors of of that time, it was very common that they would often take more than what had been authorized. And they were despised and seen as traitors. So most likely he had become rich and, and through one of those means, defrauding people, lying to people perhaps. But what, we want, what I want you to see here is his repentance action. He says, I want to... Give half of my goods to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In the law of Moses, when there was conflict between uh, different parties, different people, when there was a situation when someone defrauded someone else, or there was cheating, or stealing, or even finding something and then lying about it, there was a requirement to make restitu- restitution and to add 20% to it. In other cases, other scenarios, when there was oxen or sheep that were stolen, the law required a restitution of fourfold or fivefold. So here we, we see Zacchaeus, he is responding to Jesus. Whether or not he knew the law, he is being motivated by what the law says, we do not know, but we do see that he is responding to Jesus. He is being incredible, incredibly generous. Half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anybody, I will pay it fourfold. So we see the key is this repentant action. He is responding to Jesus. Look at verse nine. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Does Zacchaeus experience grace and salvation because of his good works? No. This story is not a story of self-justification or self-indication. This is a story of salvation by grace in Jesus. Grace through faith in Jesus. The only reason why Zacchaeus is experiencing grace and salvation is because Jesus showed up to the scene. And Zacchaeus is responding to Jesus' grace of being incredibly generous. And some would point to the fact that this statement is in the present tense. I I give half of my goods to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. Some would say, look, he's already, he's just explaining what he's already doing. I don't think that's the case. I think that's he's responding to Jesus' grace. And this is something that he's gonna, he's about to start doing in a lot of Jesus showing up on the scene and showing him grace. So Zacchaeus is incredibly generous. And then Jesus responds, right? In a public way. This is still all happening here. The crowds are listening. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was not just the son of Abraham by physical descent, but also now because of Jesus, a spiritual descendant. In Galatians, we read how those who believe in Christ are the quote-unquote true sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham, the believer. So those who believe in Christ are the sons and daughters of Abraham in a spiritual sense, and they get to experience God's blessing, the blessing from Genesis, that through Abraham and his seed, all the, the nations of the world will be blessed. So Zacchaeus is not just a physical descendant of Abraham, but now a spiritual son of Abraham because of Jesus And Jesus shows Zacchaeus grace and mercy. He who was despised by others, excluded by others. And look at what the motivation was or what Jesus connects connects this to. Verse 10, for the son of man came to what? To seek and to save the lost. Incredible truth. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This is the same Jesus whose incarnation, we just celebrated it in the season of Advent. This is one of the reasons why he came to earth, to seek and to save the lost. It's an incredible truth. It's an illusion to Ezekiel 34. You know what's happening there? God, using Ezekiel, is rebuking the spiritual leaders of Israel at that time, the so-called shepherds. For many Many acts of spiritual neglect, one of which was not seeking the lost, not searching for the lost. And then God shows up, hey, your, your spiritual leadership is going to end. I'm going to be my people's shepherd. I'm going to seek the lost. I'm going to search for them. I'm going to feed them. And I'm going to care for them. And I will raise up my servant David to be your shepherd. We have here Jesus. This is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 the God shepherd, the shepherd God, who's gonna come and seek and save the lost through Jesus. It's an incredible truth. So I'm here to tell you good news. If you are spiritually lost, which all of us were apart from Christ, and all of us are apart from Christ, if you are spiritually lost, I have good news for you today. Jesus is here to save you. You don't have to save yourself. You know how to find yourself? Jesus is here to save you. Turn to Him. Repent of your sins in your attempts to save yourself and run to Jesus in repentance and trust in Him and who He is and what He's done on the cross and on the empty tomb. To those who feel despised like Zacchaeus, maybe not to the same degree, but feel excluded. Jesus is here for you as well. He wants to seek you. He wants to save you. He wants to find you and welcome you in into his family. Turn to him today. Turn to him today. To those of us who are quote unquote spiritually found because of Jesus, but are confused or tired, Jesus is here for you today as well. He is here for you to save you from feeling lost and tired and confused about your life and decisions, he's here for you. He wants to give you rest. Let's turn from our attempts at finding rest for ourselves and run to Jesus. To those who are rich among us, just like Zacchaeus, you're invited to, we're invited, all of us, but especially those who have more means to be generous, to build up for ourselves treasures in heaven. How? By doing good works and being generous, all in the name of Jesus, not as just the ends in itself, but as a means to greater ends, pointing people to Jesus. To those who are spiritually apathetic or indifferent, Jesus is here for you as well. He's seeking you out, he's he's trying to save you from your spiritual apathy. He invites you into his mission so you can experience his joy today. In Luke 15, there are parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And when these were found, what was the response at the end? Celebration, that's the appropriate response. And so you and I get to be part of Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. But make no mistake about it. We are the ones who get to seek people and point them to Jesus who is able to save them. We don't save anybody. We can't save ourselves. It's Jesus who saves people. So if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, are we to do the same? Yes, yes. Yes, just like when we lose a material thing or procession and we spend so much time and energy looking for that and experiencing joy in our side when once we find it, how much more should we be intentional to seek the lost who are created in God's image? All the more, all the more time, all the more energy, all the more intentionality and effort to seek those who are spiritually lost and point them to Jesus who can save them. Now, why don't we seek the lost? Why don't we seek the lost? Here are some observations, some potential barriers. Maybe it's fear of man, fear of public ridicule, fear of rejection, fear of being canceled in our culture. What about spiritual warfare? The enemy is real. There's real opposition. Yes, there is. The enemy is active. He is roaring around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. That's a real barrier. What about busyness and the cares and worries of this world, which according to Jesus in Matthew 13, choke up God's word in our heart and the word does not bear fruit as it should be, as it should. What about indifference or apathy or just outright rebellion against God and his commands? What about lack of training? We have Northway training for you. Heyo, next semester. What about unrealistic expectations? You must hit a home run every single time. You must do it like others. You must do it like the professionals. You must do it like the Apostle Paul. You must do it like Jonathan Menendez. Like if I'm this great evangelist, I'm not. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. What about the misconception of the gift of evangelism? We often attribute or equate the gift of evangelism with a charismatic personality, don't we? Well, I'm not like that person. I mean, I'm not just, I'm not extroverted and charismatic like that individual. Let me ask you this. Those who have the gift of teaching, do they all teach the same way? Those who come and preach God's word from this pulpit, do you all teach the same way? No, right? There's a diversity there. The same thing with the gift of evangelism. There's diversity Because we're not all the same people. These are barriers. These are challenges that we often face and experience. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's why we have a banner at the door, at the exit. You are sent. We are the sent ones. We're all called to this mission. Everyone gets to play. Everyone. We all have different functions, different gifts, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. We all get to play a part. We all have a, a function. We all have a role to play. And I want to lovingly encourage us this morning to get off the bench and play the game. Not in our strength, not in our power, not in our charisma, but in God's power, in God's strength. So who are the Zacchaeuses in your life? Who are the rich in your life? Who are the spiritually lost in your life? Who are the despised and excluded in your life? There are plenty of people like that. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you know what Jesus did after he said that? He sent them out. Like we are the laborers. Called into God's harvest field to do the work of evangelists as we will learn about in the next teaching series. Paul instructed Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. It takes work, y'all. It's not easy. It takes work. It takes work. The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? So, I want to conclude with this. Let's leverage our time, our energy, our resources, our opportunities to seek the lost and point them to Jesus this coming new year. If you're single in this room, which a lot of you are, let's leverage your time, energy, resources, opportunities, your work. Your work is your primary place of influence. Your work is your primary platform for ministry. It's not coincidence that God has placed you where he has placed you. So it's your key harvest field among other places. Partner with the Lord, partner with others in seeking the lost and pointing them to Jesus. If you're married in this room, let's leverage our time, energy, and resources. If we have kids, let's point them to Jesus. Let's point our spouses to Jesus. This is our primary harvest field, our primary mission field. And let's work as a team. Every time we hear the invitation and the call to evangelize and share the gospel, we oftentimes think of that as just individualistic. Don't we? Because our culture has shaped us. What if we start hearing that invitation? And yes, it includes us as individuals, but it includes us as a family. So we get to use and utilize every, every gift that is present, personality, experience and work as a team. So if you're in a GC, in a gospel community, leverage that. Invite others to that place. Let's seek the lost together and use our various gifts to make those disciples, to disciple them more into the image of Jesus. And lastly, I've been gripped by this, this truth that Paul communicated to Timothy that we will see again in our upcoming series. Paul says to Timothy at the end of his life, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the chief of them. Paul had the audacity to say that at the end of his life. After he has done all sorts of things for God's kingdom and God's glory, he says so many different challenges so many different victories and losses. God, I pray that your word would land in our hearts and that I pray for our hearts to be fertile soil, that your word would take root, that your word would bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold as we reflect on what we just heard and we put it to work, we put it to practice. We live it out. We take the next step, whatever that may be. But let us not respond out of guilt or obligation or mere duty, but out of joy. Out of joy and out of gratitude that you came to earth to seek and save the lost. And we are part of that. We were lost. We, some of us who don't know Christ yet, we're still lost. And you, Jesus, you saved us. You rescued us. And we get to experience the freedom of knowing you, the freedom of salvation, the freedom of forgiveness of sins. So let us then now, with the power of your spirit, seek the lost and point them to Jesus who can save them. Would you bless us as we do that? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 1115 a.m., and 4 p.m. and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.